0: All right, well, today, we are on our uh, our third installment of our new series, the uh, See Yourself Here series. We're kicking off the year 2020, a year of vision. Uh, and I love Stefan when he's up here and he's being so bold. He's saying, you know, 2020 is going to be a year of breakthrough. 2020 is going to be a great year. And you're like, how can, how can you be so confident? I mean, how, how can you say that? How do you know? But that's the thing, right? God is always full on towards us, right? That's why we can, we can send these guys away and say, God is with you. He's going to bless you. And you're going to blossom and bloom. We can say that with such confidence because we know that God is always for us. He's never against us. And his attitude and his heart towards us is always full on blessing all the time. So 2020 is a great day. Today is a great day. It's always good. So thanks for that too, Steph. And that really blessed me. That was great. See yourself here. We started the first sermon and Pastor Carl was talking about see, about vision, the importance in your life of having vision and being able to see clearly and how there are some obstacles and impediments sometimes to being able to actually see. And uh, we talked about how sight, it's not necessarily what you're seeing with your eyes that affects you. It's how you're interpreting what you see. So it's not actually your, your, your physical eyes, it's what's going on in your brain. And we had that picture of the dress. I still don't understand how people see white and gold. I mean, it is black and blue, 100%. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can look it up, but it is black and blue. And the reality is, it actually is black and blue. Anyways, I don't know what that's... I mean, Pastor Carl said white and gold is for the pure of heart, but it's actually black and blue. (laughs) Anyways, next... uh, And then last week, Pastor Carl was talking about um, seeing Jesus. And this is beautiful. I mean, we want to see. We want our eyes to work. We want our vision faculties to be fully functioning. But tell you what, what you need to see is you need to see Jesus. See, there's vision, there's having plans and purposes for your life and being able to imagine your life five years out, which you need to do. We need vision, we need planning and all that kind of stuff. But what needs to fill your eyes, first and foremost, is a picture of Jesus. And we saw how John the Baptist really helped the Israelite people and helped us to be able to see Jesus clearly. And when you look at him and you see him, John the Baptist brought out these four points about what you see when you look at him. And first of all, he said, behold, a man. You see a human. You see God made flesh. You see God who became a human being and lived a very human experience. He had real relationships. He had real uh, things happen to him. I think Pastor Carl said, imagine Jesus like the carpenter, and bam, he hits his thumb. He had very real experiences, just like everybody else, right? He knows what we're going through. He was tempted in every way like we are, yet he was without sin. He even knows what it's like to feel our sin. You know, sometimes like you might be stuck in shame and you're like, I don't know how to deal with that. Well, Jesus can help you because he actually did that too. He didn't sin, but he did take your sin on himself. He knows what that feeling is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of course, God didn't forsake him, but he knows what it's like to feel that, but also to come through the other side. So Jesus was a man. He's the son of God. He's God himself. He's the perfect embodiment, the complete revelation of who God is. When you want to see what God is like, and you're like, God, who are you? Who is this person? What are you really like? I mean, you can flip through your Bible, but you can land, land, land on the person of Jesus Christ. He is what God truly looks like. He is the clearest picture of who God is. In fact, the Bible says that there were times in the past where God tried to communicate himself through other people, through prophets and through writings, but then he decided, you know what, I'm not getting through to you guys. I'm going to show up on purpose by myself and I'm going to show you what it's like, what I'm like, what what God really is all about. And so he took on a body and he said, "Here I am. This is me." fully for you to see. He's the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. John the Baptist said, Behold, when you see, look, behold, see the Lamb of God who takes away all the sins of the whole world. Which is an amazing statement. I mean, he didn't just take away my sins from today or yesterday or the day before. He took away the sins of all of us for all time, past, present, and future, in one act on the cross the Lamb of God, God's provision for sin. There's no question, God, was it good enough? Was your sacrifice enough? No, God decided that he would send a lamb, and the blood of God was shed to wash away all of our sins once and for all. So when you look to Jesus, you see the Lamb of God. You see God's answer and God's solution for sin, for shame, for guilt, for condemnation, and it all goes. John the Baptist said, he's the one, there's one among you whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to untie. He's the one, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now, every single experience that you want to have with God, any and all of the the beautiful experiences of of the love of God filling your heart, the power of God in your life, every experience you have with God down here is by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself is uniquely qualified to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and to pour out Holy Spirit on your life in and through you. He qualified us to receive every blessing from God He himself qualified us, and he himself can give of his Holy Spirit, which he does. So you see Jesus, and you see the one who generously, freely, graciously pours out Holy Spirit on you, and in you, and through you on a daily basis. And if you see God, if you see in in Jesus, the man, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, and the baptizer of the Holy Spirit, I'll tell you what, if you can see him, if you can see those things in the person of Jesus, you're set up for success, You can see that. You can start to function in life in a way that that you've never seen before, that the world hasn't seen before, that the creation is waiting to see. The sons and the the daughters of God fully revealed, fully alive, fully manifesting what humanity is supposed to look like. And it starts with seeing, but it starts with seeing Jesus and seeing him in a very particular way. Now, today... We we're talking about see. Today, we're going to talk about see yourself. Much like what Stephen was prophesying earlier, we're going to talk about seeing yourself. And what I want to suggest, first of all, is important to see yourself is to see yourself in the light of how Jesus sees you. We don't want we don't want to just see ourselves uh, uh, according to what other people think about us. We don't want to filter our vision of ourselves through uh, maybe our own worst thoughts or fears or shame or guilt or negativity in any way. We want the picture that we have of ourselves to be the one that God has. So the title of this sermon is actually, Jesus Sees You. We have to know that he sees you. And when he does, he's actually really, really happy with what he sees. Now, we've been looking at John chapter 1, verses uh, 23 to 51. And uh, so I found a couple of verses in those thirty or so verses, like verse forty-two to fifty, that we're going to talk about today. Because there's there's four instances where it says that Jesus saw. Not only did John the Baptist say, "Behold!" Not only were people seeing Jesus, but Jesus was actually seeing people. And I just thought that was really cool. So he does. He sees you. He looked at Simon Peter in one episode in verse forty-two, and he says, "He it says Jesus looked at Simon." Later on, he's, he, Philip goes and gets his brother Nathaniel. Nathaniel comes and it says Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him. He has this interaction with Nathaniel, and he assures Nathaniel, hey, before you even got here, I saw you. And he also tells him, I saw into your future. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at four things that when Jesus sees you, he sees. He sees your characteristics. He sees your character. He sees your core. He sees who you are at the heart of who you really are. And he sees the defining features about you. And he actually really likes it. I mean, he made it. We're going to talk about how Jesus sees your past and what he looks at when he sees your past. We're going to talk about how Jesus sees your future. And finally, Jesus sees the real you. He sees the you that you might not see. He sees the you that you, you, know, you might think that the people around you don't see. But when Jesus looks at you, he's got those x-ray eyes and he sees what you're really all about. He sees who you really are. And that's actually a really good thing. And I'm going to tell you why. But first, why is it important to know that Jesus sees you? Well, this is uh, this is Rick Hansen. He's a PhD and an author. And he said this, even though it's scary, everyone longs to be seen and known. I don't know if you identify with that at all, but have you ever said, man, I just wish somebody would get me? Have you ever been in the, like a moment of this, like you feel like you've been really misunderstood? And you're just like, man, it, it, I just wish they understood me. I wish they saw me. I wish they got me. Or you feel like you're just one of many, a cog in a wheel. You know, everybody, he says, longs to be seen and to be known for who they really are. Your hopes and your fears acknowledged, even the ones behind a polite smile or a frown of frustration. Everybody wants to have their true caring seen as well as their positive intentions and natural goodness. Now, isn't that funny? Sometimes people are very quick and very easy to see what, what are maybe the, your shortcomings and even quicker to point those out. Everybody wants to be seen for what, what's good inside of them. And most intimately of all, he says, to feel that our innermost being, the one to whom things happen, the one strapped to this roller coaster of a life, trying to make sense of it all before it ends, has been recognized by somebody. We want to be seen. We want somebody that gets us. And you know what? So does God. Like, that is literally his program. That was literally his plan from the beginning, was to create a people that he could reveal himself to and give himself to. God wants to be seen. He wants to be known. He really does. This is the goal of everything that he's ever done. And I'll tell you why. And again, I think it's a little bit of inspiration from one of my fans, or my biggest, I'm the biggest fan probably of Brene Brown. So if you like her, you can geek out. But she says, in order for connection to happen, we have to allow ourselves to be seen. In order to connect with another human being, in order to have a real relationship, you have to be prepared to put yourself out there. And when you do, you have to put your real self out there. You know, you can't, you can't have a, a projection of a, of a persona that you wish to have, or you're, you're trying to create an image that you're projecting out there, because then when people start to interact with that image, they're not really interacting with the real you, right? You, you got to be okay in your own skin, and you got to be able and willing to put yourselves out there and to be seen. And we we get the best example of this from the person of Jesus. See, God wanted to be known. He wanted relationships. So he said, I'm going to put myself out there for everybody to see. I'm going to make it clear, plain, and obvious who I am. So he did. He became a man. He walked around on the earth. And the funny thing is, is he did it knowing full well. And this is the thing that goes with it. He did it knowing full well that by putting himself out there and letting himself be seen and known and interacted with, that he might actually be rejected. He might be abused. People might not like him. They might laugh at him. They might even kill him. I mean, there's no guarantee. You, you put yourself out there. There's no guarantee people are going to like what they see, right? And that was same, the same was true for Jesus. He put himself out there, and guess what? Some people loved him. A lot of people hated him, and eventually we killed him. I mean, that doesn't get any more dramatic than that. But you got to do it. Jesus valued this creating a connection and a relationship with us so badly. He wanted to have that so much with us that he was willing to risk all of that. He was willing to risk the shame. He was willing to risk the, uh, the, the rejection and the pain in order to say, here I am. Now we can have a real relationship. And that's why it's so important that we do that. See, Jesus came to identify with us and to let us know that God sees us. He hears us. He, and, and he actually values us for who we really are. Even those things about us that we don't like, or those things that we hide. And we're like, man, if, if somebody actually really knew that about me, we wouldn't be friends. Or, you know, they, they, their opinion of me might change a little bit. And, and so you hide a little bit. You know, you kind of adapt your personality a little bit when you're around certain people or in certain places. And you're not actually really letting yourself be seen and letting yourself go because you're afraid. Well, Jesus sees all that. And he says, I still love you. In fact, I love that about you. It's actually really crazy. Because the problem with, with, with human beings, ever since Adam and Eve, do you remember God said, don't eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. As soon as you do, you're going to die. And God used to come down from heaven. And he used to walk around with them in the garden. So one day, God comes down after they've eaten the fruit of this tree. And he wants to hang out with them. And he's like, hey, guys, where are you? Can't find you anywhere. What's going on? And Adam answers and says, I heard you. But I was afraid. I I was naked, so I hid. And I would argue that ever since then, human beings have had this thing, this consciousness of a deep sense of inadequacy, as if we just don't measure up, as if if God really saw us, he'd be mad at us, and he'd want to punish us, he'd want to hurt us, he'd want to kill us. And we project that onto other people as well. And so we're afraid to be seen. And you got to know, like, all these good things that God has for us. He wants us to walk fully into our future. But it, it's hard to do that when you're constantly worried. Oh oh if I do and I fully show up, I might not be liked. What does God think about me? So this is something we got we to gotta deal with. We got to get past. Because ever since that day, ever since that day, human beings have had this innate voice that says, not good enough, unworthy. God doesn't love you. God doesn't like you. God doesn't like this about you. God's going to get you. If anybody actually saw this, you're done. But Jesus, he showed up. And this is what, the beautiful thing about what he did. Jesus showed up, and he put all of his cards on the table. He said, here I am, guys. You want, you want to know what God's about? You want to know who, who God really is? Here I am. I'm exposing myself fully to you. And here's the thing. Jesus, fully exposed. Fully revealing God. He's on the cross, probably naked on the cross. Literally, that's the shameful thing to say, but that's what happened to him. He's, he's as exposed as he could possibly be. Fully saying to everybody, here I am, here's God. Literally in that moment, experiencing the absolute worst that we could ever do to him. All of his fears realized, if I put myself out there, they might hate me, they might even kill me. Yet yeah, we're in the process of doing that. Sorry, Jesus. He's on the cross being crucified by the very people he showed up to reveal himself to, to have a relationship with. And in that moment, when we're doing the worst that we could possibly do to God, he says, Father, forgive them. In that moment where he's being rejected, humiliated, abused, and absolutely just scorned by the people that he came to have a relationship with, he says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And in that moment, forever does away with shame and says, you know what, I have seen your worst. I've seen your bad day. I've seen the deepest, darkest evil that's in humanity. I've actually experienced it on the cross. And he still says, I love you. And he still says, you can come out of hiding and you can let yourself be seen. You can fully walk into your future and fully walk into your destiny because there's nothing that I'm worried about. I'm not scared that you've got something secret hidden that's, that I can't deal with. He's dealt with it all. Like the part, part of shame is, is if people only knew, if people only saw, if people only saw what I did, if they only knew what I was really like, that that gets completely obliterated by the fact that Jesus sees you. He sees you completely. And he likes what he sees. So a couple things in these passages about what Jesus sees when he sees you. First of all, I saw this. He sees your characteristics. He sees who you are at the core of what you're all about. He sees your character. I like in John one forty seven, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, and he said, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Now, I love that he says, I mean, this just, just might be me, might be the, the tone of the world that we're living in right now, but I love that he said, an Israelite. I love that he, he saw his characteristics. I, I love that. And you got to know that you're made unique. You're born at the right time. You're born to the right family and the right nationality. And everything about you that God made that makes you that unique expression of the image of God that you are, that's meant to be celebrated, not hidden. It's meant to be celebrated and not denied. So I love that Jesus says, hey, there's an Israelite. That's awesome. I mean, racism is such an ugly thing that, you know, you you, you see something different about somebody and, and, and racism says that difference is something to be uh, prejudiced against or biased against. And then some people's solution to that is to say, well, let's just pretend that we're not different at all. Let's just pretend that there are no differences. But Jesus says, look, behold an Israelite. You're, you're an Israelite. And he looks at me and he says, wow, there's a Canadian and he's, and he's happy and he loves who he made me to be. And that's okay. Paul said there's no Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female. And in that moment, he's not saying there's no differences between our cultures or our our peoples or there's no longer any gender or race or anything like that. He's saying it's okay to celebrate the distinctiveness of who you are, but make no mistake, you're not any better than anybody else because of what you are. We're all to be celebrated. We're all to be uh, uh, shown the the beauty of our humanity is our diversity to be honest with you and jesus says hey i see that unique thing about you and it should be celebrated it shouldn't be hidden he looks at his character he looks at nathaniel and he says behold here's an israelite in whom there is no guile there's no deceit in this person and and i love that because when i read the bible i find places where it says you know what Three times, actually, in Romans 3 and then Psalms. It says, as it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I mean, the Bible's pretty emphatic that there's something wrong with human beings, that there's not, Jesus was the only perfect one amongst us, right? The Bible's pretty clear, but yeah, he looks at Nathanael, and he doesn't say, hey, Nathanael, I see all this bad stuff about you. He looks at Nathanael and says, look, there's an Israelite in whom there's no guile. He sees the best in him. He doesn't say, I saw the worst. He knows our sins better than we do. He experienced them all on the cross, even the ones that we don't even know about. He took it all, and he still says, hey, I love you. I mean, you might be struggling with something, there might be something in your world that you're, you're, you're struggling to not define yourself by, like that may be some sort of sin or some sort of issue or some sort of thing that you believe is a character flaw, and you're trying really hard to work at it and get over it. Well, Jesus, when he looks at you, he doesn't define you by that struggle. I mean, he actually looks at you and says, I know you're struggling right now, but you know what? I see the righteousness. I see the love in your heart. He says, I look into the core of who you are, and I see that there's a great big yes to God and a big yes to the purposes of God in your life. I see that you want to. And he says, hey, I love that about you. He says, you're righteous, you're holy, you're without blame. He doesn't say, man, look at all the bad things about you. And just because this is how I think about Jesus, I think that Nathaniel, This pure speculation, no biblical back, backing for this at all. This is just a random Zach thought. But I think he says to Nathaniel, there's an Israelite in whom there is no seat. It wouldn't just surprise me if literally, like a day before that, he was lying to somebody. And Jesus goes and speaks right to that issue that he has and says, you know what, I see you without your deceit. I see you without your, I mean, I, I've experienced that from Jesus. I, I, I know tons of people who have. When Jesus comes up to you and says something about you that's totally different than what you think about yourself, he doesn't define you by your struggle. He doesn't define you by that thing that you think is wrong. He sees something totally different. And he calls it out of you. It's beautiful. It really is. Jesus sees me. He sees the real me. He sees that deep down, I've been made new. I've been born again. And that in my heart, I really, really want to do the will of God. Even when everything else might look like, man, what a heathen. What a scoundrel. God's like, there's a child of God. I love it. Number two, he sees your past. When he looks at you, he, he literally does. He's not blind to our past. Jesus answered and said to him, uh, so he's talking to Nathaniel here. He says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, that's beautiful on so many levels. But he says, hey, you know what? I looked in your past, and what did I see? I saw you. Now, that can be a scary thought, or it can be a little bit of a comforting thought. For me, it's now entirely comforting. There was a time where I would have to say, I would totally identify with what Stephen was saying earlier about being, being the kind of person who's like, oh my goodness, you know, there, there's so much shame in my life and so much shame in my world. But I love, remember the the, the lady who Jesus met at the well? And she he, he gives her a word of knowledge and he says, you know what, the person that you're with is not your husband and neither were the previous five people, like literally calls her out on her sin. But he does it in such a way that she's not ashamed or embarrassed. She actually runs back into town and tells everybody, come and meet a guy who told me everything I ever did. And all of a sudden, she's prepared and willing to talk about her past because Jesus talked to her about it in such a way that extracted all of the shame from her life. He literally, in a face-to-face encounter with her, it's like he sucked all the shame and all the guilt out of her life, and now her past was no longer a problem, a ball and a chain that she was dragging around trying to hide from people with. But she got liberated into a life where she could say, hey, everybody, come and see what God did for me. My past has no touch on me anymore. That's amazing. See, thankfully, I can say that I'm a new creation. All things in my life have become new. My past is gone. But the problem is sometimes that the memories of our past are still alive with us, right? Sometimes, you know, you, you might think, you know, I, I, I did something wrong, I, I, but I know I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but the memory of the wrong thing I did is still there. And so sometimes the temptation is to believe that because it, the memory is still alive inside of me, that it's still alive with God too. But somehow, because I can think about it, maybe even the consequences of what I did in my past, the memory and the consequences are present to me right now, somehow that means that God is dealing with me differently according to my memory. And we think, wow, you know, this must be God. It's not. It's just our minds. It's something that we need to have renewed. See, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now all things are of God. I, like I said, I love it when he talks to Nathaniel here, and he doesn't say, hey, Nathaniel, when you were under the tree, back in your past, I saw the bad thing that you were doing under that tree. He doesn't say, I saw your bad attitude. I saw your stinking thinking. I saw the way you would mistreated somebody right before you went and plopped yourself under that tree. He says, no, when I looked into your past, what I saw was you, just you. So you might have a terrible past. You might have done some things that are awful. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, two days ago. But the blood of Jesus literally washes all of that away. And some of us just need to do what Paul said. He said, I forget those things that are behind, and I press on towards the things that are ahead. And the fear is, well, uh uh-oh, I'm aware of it. I remember it, so surely God does. I'm holding it against me, so surely God must be as well. But that is just not true. Because of the cross, he took all my sin. I don't have anything hidden under the rug. Do you know what I mean? I don't have any secret sins in my past that if God were to see, if he were to like open my closet, he'd be like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that about you. There's none of that. It's fully known. It's been fully experienced. Jesus took all of it. All of it. There's no no reservation. There's no hiding. There's no, uh uh-oh, if God really knew this about me then his blessings and his promises and his future for my life would be different. That's not true. Because of the cross of Jesus, when he looks in my past, what he sees is me. Me in Christ. And that's it. That's good news. That's good news. Like, we don't have to run and hide from our our past. We've literally died and been raised up into something new. We have something new. We can be launched into the new year. We can be launched into new things, new purposes, new destiny, new plans, new dreams, new vision. You can get launched into all of it. You just got to let go. Let go of the past. God has. And you are not in a race to outrun it. Number three, he sees your future. He said to Nathaniel again, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? And then he says, you will see greater things. And when he tells him he see he's going to see greater things, I think he's looking into Nathaniel's future and saying, the desires of your heart that you really want, the things in God that you want, I see it, and you're going to have it. And now, when I say that God sees into your future, I'm not saying that, like, all of your days, he's written them down and, and pre-planned them and faded you and destined you. Like, at 2 o'clock tomorrow, I'm going to trip down my front steps because it's icy. Like, that, those kind of things, it's not pre, pre-planned and predestined like that. I'm not trying to say that thing. What I am trying to say is that when Jesus looks at your future, he sees your potential. He sees the fullness of everything that you're going to be because he knows what you're going to be. What you're destined to be is to fully reveal the person of Jesus Christ. Everything that we're ever going to do, everything we're ever going to be, is to be a full manifestation of Jesus on the inside of us. And whatever the external things of our lives are going to look like, whatever circumstances we're going to go through, the the plan is that the circumstances are created by the inner life of Christ and a response to Jesus inside of you. But the Bible says that one day we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. See, our future is to fully manifest the life of Christ within us and to manifest that in fullness. And the thing about that is his victory is certain. He knows your future. It's in his hands because he's already, in many senses, attained it for you. In Christ, we're already positioned and we're already equipped to, for the future that God has for us. We just don't realize it yet. Isn't that amazing? Everything that I ever will be is already found in Christ. And if I look hard enough, I'm already there. Praise Jesus. When I want to look at my future, I look up and I see Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. And I know that I was predestined to manifest him in fullness. I want to see what I'm going to be. I look to him. And everything else is circumstantial. Everything else is just going to be something that responds to the inner life of Jesus inside of me. And that's my vision. And that's my hope. I have a hope for glory. And it's Christ within. Now the last thing this is the thing I just wanted to spend a little bit of time on, is this. When Jesus sees you, he sees your true identity. He sees who you really are. See, so he looks at Simon Peter, or Simon, he says, hey, you are Simon, the son of Jonah, but you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter, or stone. So he, he talks to his identity. He says, hey, Peter, this is what you've known yourself to be. I love this. He says, you, you are Simon, up until now, Peter, or up until now, Simon, you've called yourself Simon. You've identified as Simon. Simon is kind of what's been your identity. But right away in a face-to-face encounter, Jesus says, I'm going to change that. I'm going to redirect your attention. You're now Peter. And he gives him a totally new identity. And I like it. So when we talk about identity, we're talking about that deep inner sense of self. That Who do I think I am? You know what I mean? Like in a good way, though, like that, that internal um, picture of who I am. And uh, I mean, you read, and some psychologists, they talk about identity as like an ever-evolving, ever-changing sense of self, something that's formed by a whole bunch of different factors. It It can be formed by your values, by your relationships, your passions, your skills, your family, your community. Your identity can be formed by social roles and how you feel you fit into them or or don't fit into them. See, they talk about identity as this sense of self with all of these external factors that kind of work together to create inside of you a picture of who you are and who you think you are in the eyes of other people. But I want to say that, biblically speaking, I think identity is one of those things that human beings can only get most deeply and profoundly from God. See, God created us, Right. God made it. However we showed up here, whether you believe in evolution or, the, or whatever, at one point in human history, God himself came down and spoke and looked in a human's face and breathed his spirit. And Adam and Eve became living beings. The thing that makes human beings unique is that God himself had a face-to-face encounter with that human being, breathed his spirit into them, and they became bearers of the image and the likeness of God. You cannot have identity. You cannot have a sense of self that's healthy and productive apart from that, apart from finding it in Jesus, because He is where we came from. So you, you can uh, argue, I suppose you shouldn't do this, but you can get a sense of self from, from things like your job, your family. You can find identity and a sense of well being and meaning in your life from your relationships, your race, your gender, your sexuality, the persona or the image that you try to cast. But deep down, really, I think a true sense of self can only really be satisfied in the human heart when it comes from Jesus. And and I think this is what Jesus does for Peter. He shows up to Peter and he has a face-to-face conversation with him. And this is what happened for Jesus, too. Remember when he got baptized, he came up out of the water and there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son? He had an encounter with God that set identity in him, which is really, really cool. Not that he needed it. I mean, he knew who he was, but for the sake of everybody, he's forever modeled this experience where humanity and God there's a face to face. There's an encounter that you have with Jesus. That's why you can't just you can't just rely on. Uh, might sound a little controversial, but you can't just rely on your your memorization of Bible verses and things like that. At some point, the scriptures, at some point, the positive things that you say about yourself that come from the Bible, at some point, that has to elevate you out of the pages of the Bible into a relationship with Jesus where you hear him speak it to you. And say, Zach, you are my beloved son. Not because the Bible tells me so, but because Jesus himself has spoken that. The Holy Spirit has made that Bible verse alive, and it's personal to me. It's now not just doctrine. It's not just theology. It's not just positive self-talk. It's Jesus himself has encountered me and says, Zach, you're my child. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's that encounter that God wants to give for every single one of us. And this is what he does for Peter. He shows up, and he says, hey, Peter, or Simon. You were Simon, but you're going to be Peter. And the amazing thing about this is that Peter, the name Peter, in Greek it's petros, it means rock. You're a stone or a boulder, basically. And I think it's a beautiful wordplay. It's a tiny little rock that you can find when you're walking along a path. So imagine yourself on a nature walk, you're, or you're, you're walking up a path on a stony mountain or something, and you, you, you see a little rock, you bend over, you pick it up. Maybe there's a creek nearby, you, you try and skim along the rock or the water. That rock that you've picked up, that is that that's what we're talking about. That's Peter. That's Petros. That's the rock. He says, you know what? From now on, you're a rock. Now watch this. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is again dealing with Peter. He's constantly dealing with Peter on this theme of identity. And so he says to him, I tell you, you are Peter. In other words, you're a rock. You're the the little rock that I pick up and I throw in the water and I try and skip across the pond. He says, you're a rock. But on this rock, I'll build my church. Now when he says on this rock he's using a totally different word. He says, on this Petra, on this Petras, different from a stone that I pick up on the path and throw, the Petras is like a mountain. It's like a cliff face that emerges up out of the ground. It's like stony ground. So I got a couple pictures here to show you. So when Jesus says, you're Peter, he says, hey, you're one of these tiny little stones that I can pick up and throw in the water. You're, you're, you're one of those guys. He says, the rock of revelation of who I am, that's what I'm going to build my church on. And the rock that I'm going to build my church on is the revelation of who I am. And that's like the big cliff. That's, that's the big mountain. That's the mountain that pops out of the ground. I got another one too. At the bottom, see all those stones at the bottom again? That's, that's Petros. That's Peter. That's a tiny stone. And the mountain, the whole mountain, that's the rock of the revelation of Jesus Christ that he's going to build his church on. And the amazing thing about this is that the Petros, the small rock, and the big rock, the mountain, are the same substance. They're both rock. They're both stone. A beautiful picture of how the revelation of Jesus is literally the foundation and the essence of all of our own identities and the essence and substance of all that we are. See, Peter would later come to appreciate this. He would later start writing things like we've been made participants in the divine nature. They would come to understand. Paul would start to write things and say, like, whoever's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. The idea, what Jesus says to Peter is, hey, Peter, you, you and I, we're one. You, you might be that tiny little rock, and, and I might be that massive giant mountain, but you know what? We're both made out of stone. We're both one. We're, we're one spirit together. When you see yourself, you need to see me, and you need to see that you and I are joined. We're of one substance. We have the same spirit. That's amazing. I mean, I don't know what else can, you can get identity from other than that. Now, Peter would start to also understand, you know what? Hold on. I'm a, I'm a stone. The people around me, they're also stones. Wow. And he'd start to write things like, uh, we've come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God. And you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. See, the revelation that Jesus gave him of his identity that day in a face-to-face encounter would shape the rest of Peter's life and the rest of the things that he would learn. And I'm going to tell you today that Jesus Christ can meet you, speak into your life, give you a new identity that will set the course of your life differently. It will set the course of your own self-understanding, and you'll start to see yourself in a different way. You'll understand things about who you are and the future that God's intended for you when you can see yourself in Christ and Christ in you. Jesus says, hey, you're a rock, I'm a rock, we're one. It's all good. And Peter starts to say, wow, if I, if I properly position myself in a house, in a community where the I'm, I'm being properly set beside, one stone beside another, one stone on top of each other, we're all a bunch of living stones, and we start to come together appropriately, and we start to connect with each other in love, and by the Spirit of God, we're actually being built together into something beautiful. I mean, we've seen a little bit of that today, with Minnie and Sachin, right? The two people built into a house, and look at how lives have been changed and touched. It's, it's beautiful. But we're all one with Christ. Christ in us, us in Christ. It's amazing. And even in the Old Testament, they saw this dynamic and they, they prophesied it. The, the prophet Isaiah, he said in uh, chapter 51, verse 1, he said, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. In other words, if your goal this year is that you want righteousness in your life, you, wanna, you want your life to begin to manifest and demonstrate the things of God, you want your life to be filled with the rightness of God in all of your world, whether it's your finances, your health, or your relationships, whatever, you want the righteousness of God, and you want the Lord, this is his advice. Look to the rock from which you were cut and the quarry from which you were hewn. You want righteousness to show up in your life, and you want to be the best version of you. It starts right there. It starts with looking to the rock from which you were cut and the quarry from which you were hewn. It starts with seeing, wow, I'm of him. I've come from him. He's in me, and I'm in him. And when you see yourself in that light, I'll tell you what, when you see that you're one substance with him, one with him, one spirit with him, the one that you came from, that's what's going to project you into bigger and better and greater things not just this year, but forever. It's amazing. So see, we want to see. We want to see ourselves. We want to see ourselves in the light of the one that the, that we're one with. It's really important to have a really good picture of who you are, and I'm telling you, I love the Message Bible. Eugene Peterson, in, in Romans chapter 8, He said, there in Jesus, when you look to him, you see the firstborn, the first in a long line of humanity that God restored. And there in him, you see the original and intended shape of your life. You want to know who you're meant to be. You want to see yourself. You look to Jesus. And when you look to Jesus, you see yourself. When Jesus looks on you, what does he see? He sees himself. It's amazing. And that's true for past, present, and future, everything we ever are going to be. I hope that your hope is firmly rooted in the fact that it's the glory of Jesus Christ on the inside. That's what your hope is. I hope that when you look at your past and you think about who you were and where you came from, that what you know is that the blood of Jesus has completely washed away all of your sins. And when God looks into your past, he just sees you in Christ. And none of that stuff is bothering you anymore. None of that stuff has a right to harass you and chase you down. That's why baptism is such a beautiful picture. You've gone down in the water. And all that stuff stays in the water. It stays in the tomb and you get raised up into something new. And all that stuff that was chasing you in your past is gone. The shame is gone. It's all broken. It doesn't have a right to speak in your life anymore. And your future is secure just as surely as Jesus is alive and sitting at the right hand of the throne. Your future is secure in him. So Jesus sees you. You got to know it. You got to be okay with it. You got to be comfortable with it. I mean, you got to see and look beautifully at him, see him, see him for who he is, see that he's fully revealed himself, fully expressed himself, fully said, here I am. And because of what he did on the cross, we too can show up in life and say, here I am, Jesus, as I am. You can show up in life at your job. You can show up in life in your family and say, here I am. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to be all in. I'm ready to fully show up because Jesus is the core sense of my identity. He sets who I am nothing else, no one else, no negative word, no shame, no guilt, no nothing. You can show up in 2020 by seeing yourself fully in Christ Jesus and Christ in you. Amen?